0: Have your bibles we're in we're in mark chapter two we're here we are seven weeks into the gospel of mark and we've made it to the second chapter finally and uh, we've been studying the miracles of jesus and what they teach us about the person and work of jesus and so that's a really good thing to think about anytime you study a miracle in the bible i would always encourage you to ask what does this miracle teach me what does this teach me about jesus that he is doing this miracle And so the the miracles in Scripture, we're we're taught to think of them as like signs. And you know, signs are something that we read. They inform us of something. And so when we come across a miracle in Scripture, we want to make sure that we read that sign. What is its purpose? What is it teaching us? And so I think today's sign miracle is very important for us. Uh, You know, recently I've I've, um, started watching a, a new show off and on. Uh, you know, not, not like religiously, but you want to get a chance, I want to watch something. Uh, have you heard of the show American Pickers, where these guys are looking for antiques and they flip stuff? Like, it's just one of those, like, mind-numbing shows that's, it's like uh, interesting in a way that you can't quite explain. <laughs> but they find all of these antiques on farms and things like that, and then they flip them uh, and sell them in their own an- antique store. But one of the most valuable things that they can find... To, to, to make the most money are signs, like old signs. And, and so even if you've been in rinks and you see like an old sign with like Budweiser on it, if it's metal or, or whatever it may be, that's like the most expensive thing at the booth. Those signs go for a lot of money. And the more iconic the brand name is on that sign and the more unique The the sign is itself, the more money it seems to bring, the more attention it gets, and so they can flip that for a big price. Well, I mention that because the sign that we are studying today at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, it's one of the most iconic miracles. This is a Sunday school special. If you have been to Sunday school ever in your life, this is probably one of those moments that you had on the flannel graph. Like, everyone remembers studying this story, and it's an iconic moment, but it's an incredibly unique moment in in that this sign demands that you read it right. This is one of those miracles that demands that we understand the purpose of it correctly. And so if you miss the purpose behind this sign, I feel like you may not understand any sign in, in Scripture. And so... This is such an important, important miracle for us to study today, and I, I'm super excited about uh, teaching the purpose behind this moment, or, and, and we'll see Jesus very clearly teaches the, mo- uh, the purpose behind this moment. But to set the table a little bit, we remember his ministry at this point in Mark, it, it's taking off. Mark moves so quickly. It's the immediately gospel. We've been working through these miracles at a rapid pace. He's been preaching the gospel all throughout Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. And he's been healing people of various diseases as he travels throughout Galilee and does this. So we know it kind of started there in Capernaum where Peter lived, and and they've gone out from there. And most recently, he healed this man with leprosy. And so now these miracles you, you, you hear of miracles, it's one thing to hear of miracles, but then when you hear of a miracle that just seems more impossible than the rest of the miracles, right, it gets your attention. Even though it's logically one miracle, they're all impossible, right? They're all supernatural. They should all be equally impressive. But now a man with leprosy has been healed. He was in the advanced stages He was of leprosy. He was full of leprosy, as Luke puts it in his gospel. And so word is spreading like wildfire like people are being healed of just off, from awful, awful circumstances. And so now Jesus has come back. He's circled back in Galilee, back to Capernaum. And that's where we're at here in Mark chapter 2. So let's just take the first two verses to kind of get our bearings here in Mark chapter 2. This is when Jesus heals the paralytic. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many had gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So he had been traveling around, and he's back home. I think it's interesting, too, that it calls this his home. He's back home. And so this is likely where Jesus called home. He's living at Simon Peter's house. And this is, this is kind of the base of operation in the beginning of his ministry. This is where he is living. And so we mentioned like that, that place, you can literally still go to what is likely Peter's house over in Israel. You can actually visit where Jesus physically lived in his earthly ministry. And so they circle back here, but all this popularity has been swirling around Galilee at this point. These miracles had begun to spread. The, the news of these miracles had begun to spread. And so now when he comes back to Capernaum, they, they know what's going on now. There have been miracles there. He, he, he left them wanting more and, and to, to preach and heal in other places. But now that he's come back, hey, Jesus is back in town. So now everyone in Capernaum is just like trying to crowd into Peter's house, trying to get close to Jesus. Many were gathered there, there together, it says, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So this is a standing room situation only. And so people are, are seated on the floor, they're, and, and as they get to the back of the house, people are peeking over each other's shoulders. There's, there's people trying to stick their head in the door, and they couldn't possibly squeeze another human being in this room. And Jesus is there preaching the word to them. So all this excitement and popularity uh, is people are just clamoring to get close to Jesus. What does this man have to say? If he can do these miracles, if these supernatural moments are, 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 are everywhere this man goes, what is this message that he's preaching and teaching? And so Jesus is there. We remember it's not about the miracles when it comes to Jesus. It's about the message. Those miracles validate the message, but Jesus is a preacher, so when he gets a group of people together, they're there for the miracles, right? But he's like, okay, I'm going to preach to you. If you're all going to come here and climb through the windows and try to get in, in any way you can and get close to me, I'm going to preach to you because that's why I'm here. I want you to understand this message that I'm called to, to preach to you. So it's it's about the message when it comes to Jesus. But uh, these people and, and people in general, they, they tend to to want that miracle more than they want the message. And that, that is definitely the case right here. They're, they're about to interrupt the message to get another miracle. And here, here's, we'll, we'll pick back up in verse three. We'll take verses three and four. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. What an incredible moment that must have been. If you just, I just think it's, it's worthwhile just to kind of imagine being in a moment like this. You're in this crowded room and you're listening to Jesus preach and teach. And you know, you're, you're, you're totally honed in on everything, every word that's coming out of his mouth. And you're, you're, just, you're trying to figure out this message and figure out who he is. And all of a sudden, there's commotion coming from the ceiling. You can imagine being uh, in that room and dirt falling on your head. All of a sudden, you see a little bit of sunlight coming through the ceiling. And and then pretty soon, you see a hand come through that hole there and pull more out of that, pull pull that ceiling apart. And then you see arms, more arms coming down and and making that hole bigger. And then you see a, a body being lowered down with ropes in the middle of this room trying to get to Jesus. I mean, the, just the commotion in this moment. It just must have been so exciting. Like, what's going to happen? What is happening? And so there, the, the the roofs in this time, obviously when we think of a roof, we think of a, a roof that has pitch to it. And, and so the roofs there in this day, they're, they're flat. And so the way that you, you would... Uh, Build a roof, you know, you had the big wooden cross beams going across as the ceiling and the roof there. And then you would put, like, reeds across those or sticks or or thatch or whatever and cover that in. And then you would take, like, mud and you would cake it over all of that, all of those reeds. And then it would dry and make, like, this flooring that you could actually walk on. And so in that day, your roof was actually a really useful part of your home. You spent time on your roof. It would be where you stored things. It would be where you, you would maybe dry out fruit or keep some food. It might be a place where uh, I read where uh, people would often sleep on their roof at night if the weather was right. That was a very pleasant thing to do and popular thing to do with your roof. But there was a staircase that would go along the side of your house where you could, outside of your house, where you could just walk right up to the roof. And so access to the roof would be a really easy thing. I mean, you could just take the staircase right to the roof. And to dig through, I mean, to get through that roof, you would literally dig through it. You could literally dig through it like you would because it was dirt and then reeds and sticks. And then you get in between those crossbeams and you could very easily dig your way into this house. And so, <laughs> The homeowner in me, I can't help but wonder what Peter's doing right in that moment. Like, that's my house, man. What's going? What's what's Peter doing at this moment? Like, I, I'm so sensitive to like things that happen in my house. Like, I got my dad ears, right? There's a toilet running sixty feet away. Right? You, know, you just know, you sense it, and you want to take care of everything. Like, Peter must be just like freaking out right now. That's my roof. They're, they're digging through my roof. What's happening right now? Nobody ever talks about that. I wonder if even after the fact, Peter sees these guys later like, hey, your leg's feeling better? You want to fix my roof maybe a little bit? Feel good enough for that? So we're also not told what the relationship is between these four men and the paralytic. And so that's, I think that's fun to speculate too because these men are going to such an extreme here to get this man to Jesus. It, It's reasonable, I think, to speculate that there's a close friendship here at the very least. Maybe these are people who work together uh, and and someone's been... Uh, hurt on the job in a horrible accident and he's unable to provide for his family anymore and they feel terrible about it and now they're trying to get this man to Jesus hopefully to see him healed maybe this is a family member and this is like a, a family of men getting one of their family members who is paralyzed from an accident to Jesus it's pure speculation but just the fact that they go to such extreme measures to care for their friend to, to tear up someone at somebody else's house, to lower him down with ropes, to get him to Jesus, to, to get him cured. I think, it's, I think it's worthwhile to maybe pause and reflect on that. Like, do you have people like that in your life? Are you, are you a friend to someone like that in your life? That's just such a blessing. That, that's, I think this is the epitome of what Christian fellowship and community should be. We should all ask ourselves, am I a friend like that to someone in the Christian community? That when they're down and out, I'm going to an extreme to care for them. Or maybe they're, maybe they're down and out, maybe, maybe it's not even a physical thing, but it's an emotional thing or a, a problem or circumstance in their life. Are we bending over backwards to help this person get through this time and get them to Jesus and, and minister to them with the gospel as they're going through an awful time? You should always ask yourself, am I being that person to someone? Are you being like that to someone, and is someone being like that to you? Well, hopefully, if you live in Christian community, you can say yes to both of those. You are actively participating and fulfilling needs and helping your Christian brothers and sisters. And you have people in your life, in Christian community, actively fulfilling needs in your life. And when you're down and out, people are there. People are there to go to an extreme. I think this is just a snapshot, just a little snapshot that was worth pausing and reflecting on. You need to have people in your life that are willing to dig through a roof for you. You need it. And you need to be like that for somebody. It's easy to say, well, nobody invests in me like that. And then we rarely get... To, to say like, oh, well, yeah, I'm actively investing in someone else like that. Focus on that question first. I just, I just, bet, I just bet, though, I just bet this paralytic man or this paralytic is, is a good friend of these four men, and they are caring for him. They deeply care for his future and his family. And out of an act of desperation, they're going to an extreme to just get him to this man who's known for healing people with leprosy and various diseases. This is hope. It's a fascinating moment. It's just a fascinating moment. And, and so it's about to get even more, even more intriguing, though. Let's read verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. So can you imagine again? Just put yourself in this moment. You're one of these four men that went to this extreme. You've lowered him down. He gets to Jesus, and Jesus says, "Oh wow, the, the you know the the faith of these men, son, your sins are forgiven." You're one of these four men, and you're thinking, "Huh? I mean, that would be disappointing, right?" Let, let's let's not act like that wouldn't be just totally disorienting. It, it was disorienting on a couple of levels here. Uh, because, yeah, obviously these men didn't bring their friend there to have his sins forgiven. That's not why they came. That's not why they dug through the roof. That's not why they lowered him down. They, didn't, they weren't hoping that his sins were were going to be forgiven that day. So when Jesus says that, that is a they're, they're dumbfounded. They're clearly going to be dumbfounded and disappointed. Uh, they went to, to that extreme, and, and that's... How he responds. So that that would have been disorienting. But the fact that Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven, that would have set off alarms. Like if you knew anything about Scripture, if you knew anything about the Old Testament, if you knew about the law, only God can forgive sins. This This would be a radical, radical thing to say. And Jesus just says it out loud at the most awkward time possible. What is he doing? Your sins are forgiven. Well, there were people who knew the law there. There were people who understood the Old Testament. And the alarms did start going off. Read with me here in verses 6 and 7. It says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, now, in Luke's in Luke's account, I, and I, I mentioned like the, one of the, when you can find a moment in Scripture that's uh, in Mark, that's also in Matthew or Luke or John or, or several different combinations, always go read those parallels. Because if you put them all together, you, can, you have more pieces of the puzzle. You can understand more. Well, Luke tells us that there were not only scribes there, but there were Pharisees and teachers of the law. So the, the, the religious teaching elite, they had arrived. Now, this also tips us off to understand that clearly the popularity of Jesus had spread throughout Israel so much that the religious community, the teachers of the law, they're like, we need to start investigating this guy. We need to start listening to what this guy's is saying. Who, who, who is this Jesus? What is he teaching? And so you can imagine Jesus comes home from traveling in Galilee. People are all clamoring to get to him. And he notices of the group of people that are trying to get close to him are the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. And so when you see them walk in the house, he, He's got to be, he's got to be, uh, he's tipped off here to think like, okay, yeah, they're, they're curious, they're, they're trying to figure me out. And so they're thinking in their minds, when they hear Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven, you got to know that this is a deliberate statement by Jesus. And these men, the, the alarms are going off, you can see it in their eyes. Jesus is able to just discern their hearts and minds that Jesus can do this on a level we're not capable of There's more than one moment in Scripture that we see Jesus discerns the hearts of people to understand what they're thinking and who they are. And this is one of those moments. Who can forgive sin but God alone? That's what they're thinking. It was obvious that they were thinking this, and Jesus perceived this. And so now there's there's commotion on multiple levels. you got the physical commotion of a ceiling and roof being torn apart and a man being lowered down. But now on top of that, you have this... Philosophical and theological commotion happening in the same moment. Just a swirling mess of excitement and commotion. And Jesus seizes this opportunity to teach. He does something here for the first time in Mark that he does often. Jesus, when he wants to drive home a point, or especially if you want to, uh, if someone wanted to engage him or debate him, he will respond to a moment like this with a question. And it disorients those who are interacting with him. Certainly so in this case. He he responds with a question. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Here's what Jesus says. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take your bed, and walk? Which is easier? Now, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He addresses it with a question, but now think about that question. Which is easier to heal this man or to forgive his sins? That's kind of if you just wanted to sum it up really quickly. Which is easier? Have you ever tried to think about answering that question? Just pretend being a Pharisee or a scribe or a teacher of the law in that moment, and Jesus poses that question to you. Which is easier? To to forgive his sins or to heal him of his paralysis? What would you do? What would you say? I, I, like to th- I like to think about these moments. I mean, if I'm a Pharisee, if I'm being, maybe if I'm being facetious in this moment or, or you know, wanting to challenge him, maybe I would pick option one. Well, it's easy for you to say his sins are forgiven. There's no possible way for me to ascertain at this point if that's actually happened or not. So I'd say it's easier to say, or easier to forgive his sins. Right? Maybe if we're, if we're just trying to be the devil's advocate here and, and, and think through this, how you would respond, maybe that's what you would pick. But listen, these scribes and these Pharisees, they know the law. They understand the Old Testament. They understand that only God alone could forgive sins. If they chose option one, they would immediately be guilty of a great theological error to insinuate or to even play along that someone could forgive sins other than God. So they wouldn't pick option one. Would they pick option two? Well, it's easier to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk. Well, we might, if, if we're being, you know, if we if we got our Sunday school clothes on and we're really trying to answer this question correctly, well, yeah, the the easier thing to do would be to heal paralysis because of forgiveness of sins. That's, that's our biggest need. But if these men choose that, right, if they choose that option, are they letting Jesus off the hook in this moment? Are they ignoring the fact that these four men are still... Looking down into this room, and there isn't this awkward moment happening at this point in time. And what about this man who is laying before him needing to be healed? We don't know how they responded, it doesn't tell us. They didn't, we, we're, we're told, well, we're told they didn't get the chance to respond. Here's, here's what happens next, and, and this is really, really what you want to walk away understanding from this moment. Jesus explains what he's about to do, and why he's about to do it. Listen to verses 10 through 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So Jesus uses this this supernatural, physical miracle to prove a spiritual point. Remember, this this sign, if you can't read this sign, you're not going to read any of them right. He's telling us what's on the sign. He's He's reading it for us in this moment. And so he heals this man physically to prove that he can justify him spiritually, and that's the ultimate purpose behind his message and why he came. And so sign miracles validate the message of the person who is doing the miracle. And So never is that more clear than in this moment. Jesus articulates in a profoundly clear way the reason behind the miracle that he's about to do. Why is he doing this miracle? Why is he going to go ahead and heal this paralytic who is obviously lower down to be healed? He says, that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So that you can take it serious when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. So that you can understand and can verify. You you can ascertain that it actually happened. Because it was verified by a miracle right in front of your face. He has the authority to forgive sins. That's why he came. If you don't understand that forgiveness is your greatest need in your life, then the Christian faith is always going to be something that's frustrating to you. It's always going to be something that's a little disappointing to you, that never quite fully delivers in the way that you think it should. If you don't see forgiveness as your greatest need, you'll be frustrated with church, and you're never never going to be Completely satisfied with Christian practices. You're always going to be questioning whether or not things work. Or, 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 or you'll be questioning if you're experiencing this the way that you should be experiencing this time. And I, think, I feel like a lot of us do that. You ever, you ever heard someone, I've heard, I've heard several people say this. Man, I gave Christianity a try. It just didn't do anything for me. It just didn't work. Man, I, I gave church a shot and it just didn't help me. I, I used to pray all the time. And I just stopped. Because it wouldn't do anything. Like when people, when people complain like that, on one hand, I can sympathize with that pessimism because I'm extremely pessimistic. I'm a butt a lot of times. And so when, when people complain like that, I'm like, ah, oh, I can relate to that. You and I would be friends. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, but that's just kind of the way I am sometimes. But what it, what it actually does when you hear uh, you know, claims like that or complaints like that, it exposes something. It exposes a monumental misunderstanding of the Christian faith. What do you mean you gave church a try and it didn't work for you? What do you mean you prayed and nothing happened? What do you, what, what, you went in with all the wrong expectations. You don't understand Christianity at all. Your greatest need has been met through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can handle anything else life throws at you now. This should be the happiest experience of our life, but a lot of times we won't let these moments be happy because we make all of the, all of the smaller needs that we have in our life way too big. And we neglect that our greatest need has been met. We have been forgiven, we have been justified, we have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. And so, and and I'm just preaching to myself today, I get lost in this too, I get lost in this too, I I let those other needs that I have in my life, those other prayers that aren't getting answered the way that I want them to, those, those other situations that are nagging at me, I let them grow and grow and grow and grow, and I focus all of my attention, all of my energy on everything that's going wrong, And I neglect the only thing that really needs to go right in my existence has gone right. It's that I'm saved. I'm justified. No matter how awful my experience may be in this church or in this community or in this life, my greatest need has been met through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is completely sufficient he has completely met that need. I don't have to add to it. I don't have to, I don't have to pray enough or, or do enough good to hope that I can add that to anything that he's done in order to make me right with God. To, it, my greatest need has been fulfilled. And so that's why it's so important to study moments like this in Scripture so that we can snap out of it sometimes. Sometimes. We get so pessimistic. We get so down on everything. We get to where we start complaining about life so much. We complain about our faith. We complain about the church. We complain about our relationship with God. We begin to get dissatisfied. We begin to say things like, church doesn't work for us. I gave Christianity a shot. It's not panning out. None of my prayers get answered. We we start to say things like that, and we spiral and snowball, (laughs) And and we're missing out on this gift that we have from God We have salvation through his son. And so we need to always come back to that when we gather. This is why we need routine church. This is why we need routine fellowship. This is why we need friends in our life who will dig through roofs for us. This is why we need to dig through a roof for friends in our life. Is because we're all prone to spiral out of control and pessimism and start to focus on the things that don't matter as much. We need moments like this to bring us back, to center us back on the cross so that we can know we can be content and we can have peace no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for moments like this in Scripture where you really spell it out. We read ourselves into Scripture so often. We um, have experiences in our life that we let overshadow moments like this in Scripture. We, like the people in this moment, we just want to make our relationship with you all about the miracles. And then when we don't get what we want, we complain and throw fit. Lord, we thank you uh, for this miracle that teaches us you have the authority to forgive sins And that's what matters more than anything else. Lord, had you only healed this man of paralysis and not forgiven his sins, that would be an awful thing. This would be a sad story. But Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you went beyond that. You did more than heal him of his paralysis. You forgave his sins. And he is with you right now, celebrating in heaven. Father, we can have that same hope that, Lord, because of the forgiveness that you offer through your gospel, we will be with you in eternity, free from any need, ever. There will be no more need in our life. Father, we thank you for this hope that we get to live with right now and the peace and assurance that you give us through your word. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.